Begin reading in verse 45. You can find that uh, printed in your bulletin. This is God's word. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, we do uh, give you thanks that you've made yourself known to us in the scriptures, and that we have them readily available in a language that we can understand. I pray that you would communicate through them and and through the words that I speak to us today that we might uh, see and know Jesus better. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I've probably told some of you this story before, but last summer when our family was out west, one of the things we did was we went whitewater rafting. Uh, And it it was my family and Susan's mom and Susan's sister Samantha and her family. And she has three small children under... Nine-ish? Huh? Yeah. Three, three young. I know they're nieces and nephews and they're little. Um, and and we, we thought we were getting into a, a mild whitewater trip. Samantha's family thought they were going on a float trip. It turns out we were right. It was a mild whitewater trip. So her youngest... We're, they weren't really embracing this. There, there was a lot of screaming going on as we go down the river. Um, but, but, you know, they were kind of settling in to a tolerable level of screaming, and we thought we were going to make it until around the bend you see the rain. And not just a drizzle, but sheet of rain where you can't see past the rain. And you hear the thunder, and you see the, the lightning start to strike the, the, the mountaintops around us. And, you know, my biggest fear was not getting struck by lightning, actually. It was that one of those kids was going to fall out of the boat and we would not be able to get them, even though they had a life jacket on. Because it was so choppy and so rough and you, you really couldn't see. And then, I, I forgot to add, it started hailing. I'm not making this up. And so, so we are rowing like this, like just listening to the guide and trusting him that we're going to make it to this takeout up ahead. But, but it was... It was miserable. It didn't seem like we were making any progress. All right? That's the kind of feeling I think the disciples had as they're in the boat in the text that we just read. It says that they were fighting the wind and so they were making headway painfully. And I actually love the way the NIV translates this better. It says they were straining against the oars. And you can just feel that, can't you? They were straining against the oars. Do you ever feel like that? Not out on the river, but just in your everyday life. Do you feel like you're not making any headway and that you're just straining against the oars? Uh, I think Brandon and Virginia Hagopian 
know what that feel like as they deal with a mysterious illness and young children and getting ready for medical school exams. I know David and Becca Fisk know what that feels like right now. He's trying to recover from a concussion and they're trying to pack and sell their home and, and find a new home. And it can just be so much straining against the oars. And those are just examples that we all know about, right? That we've been praying for as a congregation. I could probably go around from family to family to family to family and there's somewhere for all of us where we feel like we're straining against the oars and we feel like we're not making any headway. The difficulties of of parenting, trying to, to start a business, trying to to deal with difficult family situations, trying to figure out how to juggle our time between work and home and to give everyone and everything the the proper amount of time. Uh, Young people just trying to grow up and and figure out exactly who who I am, who am I going to be in this world. And it can feel like so much straining against the oars. We're in the boat and we're rowing as hard as we can, but we're worn out. We're worn out. Well, what do we do? What do we do in in that situation? What do we need to do? Uh, You know, this morning, I don't really want to give us a list of things to do. Because when you're straining against the wars, it's not so much what you need to do as who you need to know. And in this text before us, I us, I want to point us to Jesus who we need to know, especially in the midst of straining against the wars. I want us to see in this text that Jesus sends us into these difficult situations. They're not accidents. That Jesus prays for us in the midst of these. That Jesus sees us. That Jesus hears us. And that above all, Jesus is with us. I know that's five points, but they'll be, they'll be relatively brief points. First of all, Jesus, Jesus sends. Why were the disciples in the boat in the first place? Why were the disciples in the boat in the first place? Verse 45 tells us that Jesus made them get into the boat. He said, go on, get out of here. He sent them them off in the boat. He sent them out there. And not only did he send them out there, it would seem that he left them out there for a little while. Straining. Against the oars. Uh, verse 47, when evening came, the boat was out on the, out on the sea. Verse 48, he saw that they were making headway painfully. And then, does he act immediately? No, it says about the fourth watch of the night, which would be between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning, he goes to them. And so not only does Jesus send us in the trials, sometimes he leaves us in them for a time. And I really wish you wouldn't do that. Uh, and, and I'm sure you, you, you wish the same thing. But, but trials are one of those places where he does refine us, where he grows us. Trials are those places where we figure out that I can't fix everything. And if I've been prone to try to fix everything with my intellect or my connections or my wealth, or my ingenuity, if, if, if I'm one of those people that can always get myself out of a tight spot, then Jesus can, can send these things into our lives, put us into situations where we can't rely on our intellect, 
our ingenuity or our wealth or our connections, where none of that helps us. And we really have to rely on him. Uh, Paul Miller has told the story that uh, his struggles, one of, one, of his, one of his daughter was having a hard time on, their soccer, on her soccer team. And the coach really wasn't being fair to her. Uh, and she, she wound up riding the bench a lot when she really should have been playing. And one of the other parents came up to him and was like, you know, your daughter really should be playing. Aren't you mad at the coach about that? I mean, it's crazy. And, and this is what his response was. He said, actually, no. We're thankful Emily has this low-level suffering while she is still on our watch. It's a wonderful opportunity for her to grow in faith. She'll learn far more about God on the bench than out on the playing field. She'll learn far more about God on the bench than out on the playing field. And, and what's interesting, I think one of the reasons they were able to, to sort of process it in this way, is they had been praying, he said, that the energy for their daughter's life would come from God and not from the people and things around her. They wanted her to learn to abide in Jesus and to see her faith in Jesus grow. And trials create that opportunity to abide in Jesus like nothing else really does. And so Jesus sent his disciples into this trial. And he sends us into trials as well where relief doesn't come quickly. uh, And and we can know that even when that relief doesn't come quickly, uh, even when it doesn't come by the third watch of the night or by the next day or by the day after that or the week after that or the month after that or even the year after that, we can know that because Jesus is the one who sends us into that trial, that in that trial we're not in the grip of determinism, blind determinism, or random chance events. We are in the grip of Jesus who loves us. And we can know that as as John Newton said, everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing is necessary that he withholds. The one who who sends us into the storm, the one who sends his disciples out into the storm is the the one who loves us and cares for us and works all things for our good. And so this idea that that Jesus sends us in the trials, I think that's actually good news to us because we know the one who sends. Uh, Secondly, Jesus prays for us. Verse 46 tells us that Jesus went up on the mountain to pray after he sent his disciples off. Uh, It doesn't tell us what he prayed about, but I think it's safe to assume that he prayed for his disciples who were out there straining against the oars because all through the scripture we see that Jesus prays for his sheep. He prays for us. Uh, In Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. Romans 8.34 says that Jesus is at the right hand of God doing what? Interceding for us. He's interceding for His people, for His church. Um, There are certain people in my life that when I really need something prayed about, those are the people I email and say, hey, would you pray about this? Would you pray about this? There's these, 
these prayer warriors that I know, and, and I'm sure you probably have people in your life like this as well, that if there's something that really needs prayed about, you've got that list of two or three people that I'm going to call them and ask them to pray. In Jesus, we have the ultimate prayer warrior. We have the ultimate prayer warrior. And we don't really even have to ask him to pray for us. It's just what he does. Uh, Hebrews 7.25, he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. It's, It's what he does. The Jesus who sends you into the trial is the same Jesus who prays for you in the midst of the trial. That your faith wouldn't, be, wouldn't fail. That, that you would be held up. That you would have a sense of God's love even in the midst of the difficulty that you're going through. You know, it, it's always encouraging when somebody comes up to you and they, and they put their hand on their shoulder and they say, I, I know what you're going through and I'm, and I'm praying for you. If, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know that Jesus is praying for you. That He lives to intercede for you. Jesus sends us into the trials, but then Jesus also prays for us in the midst of those. Third thing, Jesus sees. Uh, verse 48, and He saw that they were making headway painfully. Jesus doesn't just send you out into the storm and then forget about you. He sees you the whole time. Because he's got his eye on you the whole time. Uh, have you ever noticed how a mom, like if you're at a, at, a, at a big event like, a relatively big event like Jazz on the Square or something like that, how moms will let their kids kind of run around, but they've always got their eye on them. They always know what they are. They're always kind of doing, they can be talking to somebody, but they're scanning the whole time to make sure they know where their children are. But we also know that as diligent as a mom or dad can attempt to be, there are times when their kids get out of their sight. And you're like, oh, you kind of have that panic moment. Where, where do they go? I, I can't find them in the crowd. Jesus watches over us like a mom, but with one difference, he never loses sight of us. He never loses sight of us. He always knows where we are. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're up against. He knows where we're struggling. Uh, He knows where He needs to let us strain for a little bit longer against the wind. And He knows when He needs to come out and bring us relief and come to our aid. He sees us. He sees you. He has that motherly, compassionate eye on you. Uh, there is someone who sees. And isn't that good news? If, if atheistic evolution is true, if that's right, there's nobody who sees. There's nobody who cares. At the end of the day, you and I are alone drifting through this universe with no destination, no purpose, no one keeping watch. Uh, but how different are the words of, of, of David in Psalm 139? O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. 
Jesus sees. Jesus sees you in your, in your trouble, in your trial. Sometimes it feels like He doesn't. Sometimes it feels like we're off His radar screen, but we never are. He always sees us. He sends us. He prays for us. And He sees us. And fourthly, He hears us. He hears us. Uh, in verse 48, the text tells us that He came to them walking on the sea. And then it says, He meant to pass them by. Well, that's an odd phrase, isn't it? Uh, he meant to pass them by. Uh, it, it may mean something along the lines of he meant to pass their way. Uh, it may mean something along the lines of he, he really did mean to pass by to, to test them to see if they would actually cry out to him or not. Uh, in, in any event, they do cry out to him, don't they? But it's not a cry for help. It's a cry of terror. They're just afraid because they think Jesus is a ghost. They don't understand what's happening. But he hears them anyway. And he responds to them. And he says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he gets into the boat with them. And here's one place this morning. If I could encourage you to to do something. uh, it, it, It would be this. Will you stop straining against the oars long enough to cry out to Him? Will you you lay down the oars and stop straining against the oars long enough to cry out to Him? Will will you give up on your abilities and efforts to to fix everything long enough to cry out to Him? Will you stop searching the internet for a solution long enough to cry out to Him? See, when when you stop, when you cry out to Him, your words don't just kind of bounce around the the room and then end in meaninglessness and nothingness. There is a God who hears and responds to His children. He doesn't shut the door and say, I'm too busy right now, I've got work to do, I'm I'm working on my sermon, go away, don't bother me, I'm busy running the universe right now, I really can't handle your request. He encourages us to come to Him and to cry out to Him. Uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, in fact, he, he desires for us to cry out to Him so much that there's a whole book of the Bible, 150 prayers that He's given us that are from all kind of different emotional states that He's given us to use to be able to cry out to Him. And some of those cries, some of those psalms, are from people who really feel like He's going to pass them by. In fact, they feel like He's already passed them by. And they're crying, Hey, God, over here, did you forget about us? Please don't forget about us. Would you remember us in our distress? Don't go away. Uh, Psalm 10, Why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That... That's okay for you to pray. That's in the scriptures for you to pray when that's where you are. Uh, uh, Verse 12 of the same psalm. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then verse 5. But I have trusted 
In your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Jesus hears. And He wants you to cry out, even if it's in the midst of your fear and frustration. Jesus hears. Uh, several years ago, I was listening to a podcast this week, and several years ago there was an employee for NPR who uh, was overcharged for their long-distance bill from, from MCI, for those of you who remember that company. And they spent nearly a year trying to get the charges reversed, and they kept getting the runaround and being sent from employee to employee to employee. And you, you know how that feels, even if you don't know what long-distance charges are. Um, you know what that feels to be like caught up in this bureaucracy, and I can't get through, and nobody hears, and nobody cares about me. And finally, they got through to the right guy, and he was just like as happy as he could be, and cheerful, and chipper, and we're sorry, and we messed up, and here's my direct number, and here's my children. You, no, he didn't say that. But he was just, he was very, you know, hey, I'll take care of this. You, you can get in touch with me when you need me. I want you to call me. Sometimes it feels like we're trying to get through the God and we're like caught up in the bureaucracy or something. And, and He just doesn't seem to be hearing us. It's like our prayer isn't going through. And Jesus knows that it feels like that sometimes. That's why He tells us in various places, uh, keep praying, keep asking, keep knocking. I hear you. You're being heard. You're being heard. Jesus sends. Jesus prays. Jesus sees. Jesus hears. And then finally, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. Uh, Verse 51, Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, then, then he's in the boat with you too. But notice who this Jesus is who's in the boat with you it's not just a good man it's not just a prophet Uh, that phrase he meant to pass them by that we talked about a minute ago has another possible nuance because in the old testament god would reveal his glory to, to people by passing them by by passing by them By passing before them. At Mount Sinai we read that God passed by Moses to reveal His name and His glory and His goodness. In 1 Kings 19, the Lord revealed Himself to Elijah by passing by him. And in Job 9 we read, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. When he passes by, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. The God of of Job is mysterious and unseen and treads on the waves of the sea. And here is Jesus treading on the waves of the sea, but he's not mysterious, unknown. He actually comes to make God known. And then he says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And that phrase, it is I, uh, the Greek of that is ego a me, which is the Greek translation of God's name for himself in the Old Testament. In Exodus 3, Moses asks God his name and he says, I am. Ego a me. It is I. I am. And so the Jesus who gets in the boat with the disciples, the Jesus who is with you 
is the God who reveals himself by passing by. The God who walks on the waves. The God who rules the waves. The God who causes the waves to be still. I am is in the boat with you. Uh, When I was teaching one of my children to swim, and I won't name any names, you you can try to guess or ask them later, Um, but, but this child was petrified of the water. And we were at RUF Summer Conference, and one of the fun things there is when you're not hanging out with students, you get to spend some time with your family, and so we were all in one of the dozen swimming pools they have there at Laguna Beach. And we were trying to, to teach one of our children to swim, and they were not having, they wouldn't get in the pool, they wouldn't get near the pool, it was, they were screaming bloody murder. And I finally kind of did the dad thing, and I'm like, you're getting in the pool. And so I, I placed this child in the pool, but I placed them in like this turtle float inner tube thing, you know, something you buy down there. And so I didn't just throw them in, I put them in the inner tube, they were still screaming. And so I got into the pool with them. And walked around the pool, pulling them around, and I would pretend that the numbers on the side of the pool had come to life and were talking to them. All right, the, the five foot was, was saying something silly uh, to this child. And, and gra- gradually, they got used to being in the water because I was with them. Because I was with them. You may feel this morning like Jesus has thrown you in the deep end of the pool without a float. But he's with you. He's with you. And he's not, you know, making silly noises, talking about numbers on the side of the pool. He's saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you you send us into difficulties, but you pray for us, you see us, you hear us, and you're with us. And you tell us not to be afraid. So I pray that in the midst of the things that that whatever anybody in here is going through, that we would take comfort and that we would take hope in that. We pray in your name. Amen.